I'm Christy Bourne. And I'm Rainier Wild. Together, we're investigating the mysteries of love and relating. We get gritty and dig deep into why love is the tie that binds us together. And also drives us to our knees. This is our story. This is your story. This is Love Like Hell. Every good mystery contains foreshadowing. The thing that you would know if you just knew. The thing that you saw if you just knew what to look for. It was right there in plain sight the whole time. That is my favorite part of a good mystery show or movie is to see if I can figure out before anybody else. Yeah, you stitch it together. You pick up all the pieces and like like clockwork, you uh, know who's going to do it before they even introduce the concepts. This is so maddening to me sometimes you know you're like it's mr jones in the drawing room with the wrench before they've even introduced mr jones or the drawing room or the wrench how do you know i know we're sitting there the evidence is in plain sight and we're supposed to be flummoxed no we know it's right there we suspend our disbelief though right we we kind of get into those situations and we put our blinders on we don't want to know it's almost like a haunted house when you know it's not real Right. Uh, And you walk through it and you have this experience, although you know exactly what's happening. Right. And that's kind of how it works. We have this insight. If we just paid attention, we would figure it out. But we don't pay attention because oftentimes we don't want to know. Okay. Tell me about this project you have to do for school. I'm really curious. Okay. It's called Genogram. You're familiar, right? Oh, yeah. Totally familiar with genogram. So you have to do one? Yeah. And and um, I have to kind of fill out this family tree. Um, and I've got to map out all the different things like alcoholism, affairs, divorce, untimely death, you know. Do you even know anything about your extended family? Okay. I'm kind of hesitant to talk about this, but I found out a lot from my mother. It's a little embarrassing. How embarrassing can it be? It's bad. Well, I've heard a lot of stories, so try me. Okay. One of my uncles was married like seven times, and one of his wives shot him. Well, what the hell did he do? Right. Like, he was just himself? Yeah, that's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah, sounds like a real winner. But here's the thing. There's like a pattern. What do you mean, a pattern of getting shot? No. um, They were all married, like, four times, three times, three times plus, like, five major live-in lovers after that. They were all serial monogamists. Yeah. Did you just hear about this for the first time? I guess so. But that's not even just it. it. It's the affairs and... The infidelity. I mean, my grandmother meets my grandfather. She's all of 17, but she tells him that she's 25. And he's apparently 41 and tells her that he's 26. They don't know how old each other are until like a year into the marriage. That is bizarre. There was a lot of stories going on. A lot of untrue stories. 
yeah, they're they're feeding each other lies, and then and then she she meets this war hero, and he was really handsome, and so she leaves my biological grandfather for the for the only grandfather I ever thought was mine, and and then you know they raise kids together, and it's a mess. So, what are you thinking about this? I mean, does it make sense to you? I I guess the thing is I. I'm just most nervous about it because, I mean, if DNA programs how our physical body is, do all these things kind of add up to how I'm going to be? Listen, the single largest predictor of how we show up in relationship isn't our history. It's our family history. Yeah, most of us don't realize that our ancestry really does matter. It's become quite popular in the last 10 years, I would say, right? With Ancestry.com and 23andMe, people have started to really get in touch with their ancestors. But mostly, I think, for where did I come from and what makes me me versus how do these patterns of my family of origin affect me? I hear about it a lot, like on the social media world, you hear about, you know, I'm doing ancestor work. I'm I'm working with my lineage. And sometimes I don't really know what that means, but from a, a clinical or psychological background, it has real specific meaning, right? Right. So the founding father of the genogram was Murray Bowen. And he really believed that we can learn a lot about a person by understanding their family, what makes them who they are, and how they interact with every single member. So family of origin is the nuclear family that you grow up in. It's also your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your cousins, your aunts and uncles, as far as back as you can go. And so it's looking at those patterns, those behaviors, and seeing how you become a self on this planet. Right. The philosopher Martin Heidegger talked about this concept of thrownness, that we've been thrown into this life, that we're thrown into our experience, which is already going. It's already going. And it's been going in the form of our family. And so the channel that we flow into, that we're thrown into, is very specific. We are shaped in very specific ways. And so the way we occur in the world isn't a huge surprise, right? Yeah. We really want to be an individual self right? The big individual self. And we cannot think outside of the context in which we were erased, programmed. Our first uh, school is a school of home. Mm. And so we learn emotions, right? By looking at the face of our mother and our father. And we have our first friends called siblings. Those are our first friends in life. Mm -hmm. And we learn communication. And we learn emotion by the people we're surrounded by in our homes. I think it's interesting, this, um, this story that we've just heard, you know, I was very frightened about something that, that my uncles or great uncles or grandparents had done. Does that really matter? I mean, people who I don't even know, people who, you know, I may never have even been in the same room with. Can they really impact me, relationally speaking? Yes, we have intergenerational patterns. So the things and the ways that uh, your parents were raised, well, 
your mom was raised in the same household as your uncles with the same parents Mm. and your father the same. So of course we can be impacted. Those patterns of communication and attachment and bonding, they all come from the same source. So we're all impacted differently, but we're all impacted all the same. Right. And, you know, certainly when you're dealing with large patterns, you start to see things in scale. You know, I remember I had an employer one time sit down with me and uh, I was, I was a young man at the time. And, you know, I, I, he, he told me you're a really good worker when you show up to work (laughs) and you know, the, the review kept getting better. And one of the things he said, he said, Hey, you've got a good reason for everything. But it's not the individual thing I'm so interested in. It's the pattern. And I think when you start to look at patterns, things jump out at you. So here we're talking about, you know, a genogram or a kind of, how would you explain that, that word even? A genogram is like a family map. So it starts with you. And from there you build out. So who are your siblings? Where do the siblings come from? Well, they come from a mother and a father, right? And so you keep building up. So you're at the epicenter and you keep building this picture around you. So above me are my parents and above them are their siblings and the parents that they have, right? And you keep building up to have this bigger and bigger picture of everyone that is attached to you. Now, we may not know a lot of them. You know, as we get more distance from family, I think in our culture today, we might not identify with very many on our, you know, family tree, our genogram. And it's so helpful to see those patterns, how they handle conflict, who was close to who. A genogram really says, how do people relate? Who's close in this family? Who's distant? Who's cut off? Do people know how to work through conflict? Mm. Is there hostility? Is there abuse? Is there addiction? And if so, where? And who's kept the traits? Does anyone keep those same traits? So it's really helpful to see, oh my gosh, like, oh, this is where I come from. It's so helpful to break cycles as well. If if you don't know where you come from, you don't know some of those struggles. Right. Yeah. You you know, obviously the innovators, and I think you're talking about Murray Bowen here as, as one of the significant innovators of this tool, they're, they're really looking at these things because Um, the more you can shine light on them, the less you have to be owned or controlled by them. But of course, now we're talking about this present culture, which is a very me culture. It's a very now culture. We're pretty detached from our roots. So, you know, in this story, I have to go back to my mother and talk to her about things that she doesn't entirely know. She has to ask some aunts and uncles. That, so now she's kind of piecing things together. And so we're, we're kind of sleuthing at ourselves to come up with things. And if you don't do that hard work, you actually might not know what's going on. But then you're staring at this map in front of you and you're looking at all these different aspects. Things start to jump off the page. Yeah, it can be really overwhelming to look at a page and say, is this me? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we're like punching in the dark. We don't know what's there and we're kind of having this struggle. 
And when we look at a genogram or we look at a family map and we hear the stories and we say, oh, there was a history of divorce or there was a history of secrets or there was a history of, you know, sexual promiscuity or there was a history of, man, people didn't get along. Mm -hmm. Then we start to think, oh, I make sense. Mm -hmm. I make sense and I'm not an alien on this planet. Now, again, it can be overwhelming, but really informative about the things that maybe we struggle with and don't know about or um, how to connect with others around these topics. I think um, why in retroflection, I was uh, so confronted by the data that was turning up for me in my genogram was because I had just gone through a divorce. There was infidelity that was a part of that. And now I'm seeing that same pattern multiple generations back, but not just once. Because see, that was a convenient story for me. I could say, well, that was that relationship. That was like a one and done thing. You know, oh, I, I, I met someone great. That would never happen again. Or, oh, you know, that relationship wasn't working. And a lot of times people tell these stories sort of like my old boss had observed. We have great reasons for any isolated experience. But when you start to stitch the experiences together over time, you go, whoa. And in this case, I was looking at that and going, oh my God, they didn't just have that happen to them one time. They were doing that years and years and years in a row. And you kind of hearing that, I mean, what, what were you thinking in that moment when I'm telling you about this, this pattern I was observing? Well, I had seen a lot of genograms and I don't believe I had ever seen something quite like that before. The pattern had to just be jumping off the page, right? Yeah, the patterns were jumping off the page. And to have not just one uncle, but several uncles have numerous um, marriages and then grandparents. And there was just a lot of relationships and a lot of secrets around relationships. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, I think for me, the secret that I was keeping in that moment um, was that it had already begun to play itself out for me. Right. Yeah. And at that time, I didn't know that for you. I had known about the one marriage. So it wasn't as though I was putting you into that sequence. I was noticing with you. I felt like a fellow journey and like, oh yeah, I see it. And oh my goodness. And what do you think was going on there? And why do you think there was the ability to keep secrets and break agreements? So I think you and I were looking at it at the same time together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And here maybe there was, uh, you know, uh, some hopefulness, right? Talk about the, the idea that with foreshadowing, you would see it if you wanted to in a way. But early on in relationships, we don't really want to. I mean, here I'm handing you sort of like evidence. And instead of going, oh God, yeah, that's a, that's a giant red flag. Instead, you're like, oh wow, he's so brave. Yeah. 
he's so brave. Let's look at this. And this doesn't have to be the same. And we can change this. And isn't that great? We can see it and know that that doesn't have to be us Mm -hmm. or you at that time. And so, yeah, you're always kind of looking through the lens of possibility, right? That suspending disbelief, Mm -hmm. right? Just like we're talking about this foreshadowing was like, yeah, maybe, but maybe not. Let's give it some more time. Yeah. And of course, at the very beginning stages of relationship, you don't know how much to share. Right? I think that's one thing that's really interesting talking to people who are engaging in new relationships a lot. There's a lot of question. Well, what should I say? And of course, when someone finds out that the person they were engaged in relationship with didn't say everything, you know, that that feels like a real betrayal. But on the other hand, I think it's fair to ask, well, how much do you say and when? Yeah. And to be fair in all of this, learning about your genogram, learning about your family history, it wasn't personal yet. Mm-hmm. No, it's like in the friend place, we can hold all kinds of things. But when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to connection, when it comes to a more costly place, then you think, oh, I should have picked up on that clue. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I'm thinking of a moment when our oldest son brings his first girlfriend home and I'm out in the backyard, I'm grilling. I come back upstairs and you're in the kitchen with her and you're like leaning forward on the counter. And I hear you say, now, how well do you know your grandparents? (laughs) Do you remember that? Oh, I totally remember it. And I remember her saying, I don't really know them. Uh And I also remember telling her, what do your parents do? And and what are they interested in? Yeah. And she said, I don't really know that. Mm, you're filling out this map with, with her, right? I mean, you, you're building that genogram in your mind, aren't you? Yeah. I want to know how she works in the world. How is she going to interact with my son? What's she going to do? How is she going to treat him when he goes to her house? What should he expect? Right. So if you think about that from like an early stage of relating and, and, and connecting, Is one of the most important sets of questions you can ask, um, tell me more about your family? Absolutely. Tell me more about your family. What do you know about them? How do you interact with them? How do you guys handle conflict? Or do you handle conflict? Is anyone not in relationship to somebody else? How many wives did your uncle have? (laughs) And why did somebody get shot? Oh, the big question there. Of course, though, it's easy to begin to um, kind of weaponize this information, I'm thinking, right? You know, and, and you, you take that and you go, well, my God, your, your you know, great, great grandfather had this happen. And, and that, how, how, do you, how do you engage with that concept? I mean, it, it seems to me that this could become like a kind of fatalism, right? Well, I also think that no matter what happens in our family of origin, those things become our superpowers. And so the ways that we interact with the world, also from our family of origin stance, we learn a certain role or behavior. We learn how to um, have love and belonging in a family. So one of the things I think about for myself is that I learned to be pretty adaptable. I'm the youngest of four. And so I look about the world around me and I can problem solve. And I can be flexible and I can get along and I don't have too many needs. 
And so that's a wonderful thing to have. But it also can be uh, a shadow side where I might not have a self that knows what it needs and knows how to communicate that. So sure, it can be a vice, right? The, the ways that we grew up and it can feel self-determining, but also can be a superpower. So we have to balance both of those, like noticing what this family origin brought to us, noticing it, honoring it. And if it's not working, then learn how to create something that does work for you and push against it. So self-determining, I, I don't know, it's information that we can learn for transformation. It's interesting hearing you talk about your own journey because I think at the time I was so overwhelmed with my own sense of shame, fear, uh, fear of repeating the past, not only my past, but others' pasts, that I wasn't looking at your story. And I wasn't asking questions about the places you came from, but they were no less there, right? No less shaping of what was happening. I'm not sure what you're going to think of this about my family of origin. I've gotten pretty comfortable talking about it, so I want to share it with you. My family origin has a pretty deep history of sexual trauma, and it's impacted my generation of siblings and cousins, my dad's generation of aunts and uncles and their cousins, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and my great-great-grandparents. And I can probably guess further than that, too, if I, if I needed to. I mean, did you, were you hurt? I, I mean, did this happen to you, too? Well, not in the way that you're probably guessing. And we're always impacted by these kinds of stories and experiences. I'm impacted because the people around me experienced trauma of coercion and manipulation. So we learn a certain skill set of holding secrets and not being able to talk about our emotional experiences and repressing sexuality because sexuality in that context was really bad. So we all held the tension of impact. Not everyone had to be or had to have the same experience to be impacted. Does it scare you? I mean, does it keep you up at night? I, what's, your, what's your experience of any of that today? My experience of it has gone in waves of disbelief. I first became aware of it when I was a freshman in high school, hearing that the people I loved had been impacted and someone that I trusted uh, had done these things. And that was a life crusher, someone that you entrusted yourself to and loved and adored, uh, hurted those people around you. Um, and that was disbelief. Couldn't believe it. There was no container for that. It's gone through lots of phases. I've become like a justice warrior. At one time, um, knowing that um, someone really close to me had been hurt, I, you know, marched to this person's door, sat down with them and told them how wrong it was and how angry I was about this. And 
And I think I was the only one in my family at that time, being the youngest and apparently, I don't know, swinging from the hip, uh, angry. I thought I would try to solve problems that way. And then sadness for what people have to carry. And I have anger because, you know, I love those people that have been impacted by it. Man, sadness, too, because I don't feel like at times I've been able to understand my own sexuality because of it and think that sex was safe or good. It seems like it's ruled a lot of your past, but it, it feels like you just want to go forward in life. It feels like you're ready for a fresh start, too. I'm ready for a fresh start. And I believe I don't have to have the same past. But I'm a little worried it's going to sneak up. And here, of course, we're talking about a kind of foreshadowing that is so inconspicuous that you don't even know what to look for, right? Because the obvious culprit here is, as you said, there's patterns of abuse. But your tendency is then to go, well, but no abuse here, nothing to see here, folks. But we're now looking not so much for the action in itself, but how the family system and how then the individual as a part of that family system has learned how to deal with those traumatic events. Are they secret keepers? Are they avoiders? Is there a tendency towards codependency here? What are the hidden patterns that help support behaviors of concern, right? Yeah, you don't have to have the direct, right, sexual trauma happening, or you don't have to have the direct, like in your case, the direct um, divorce, right, that's happened in, between your parents. So you don't have to be that linked to it to be impacted by it. Um, you can still have the same dysfunctional behavior happening behind the scenes. Like, I don't know how to handle conflict. I don't know how to talk through things. I don't know what to do with sexual urges, right? Like, I don't know. Um, what to do with all these things that are still in my aura, even though I'm not engaged in the problem behavior. Right. And how does one even ask about that? I mean, I'm sitting here kind of thinking, you know, whenever you encounter something that big, the questions that come to your mind, just as what came to my mind are, well, are, are you okay? Are you safe? Um, are, are you impacted directly? But, but how do you begin to tease out if you're sitting there and trying to, again, pick up on the clues here, how do you tease out uh, those greater and maybe a little more subtextual narratives? Well, I'll use myself as a building block for this. One of the things that I've noticed uh, for me personally is not knowing how to handle big emotion. So big emotion or conflict or things like that, that was not a strong suit for my family of origin. And so avoiding those things at all cost was pretty important. It was really important that we get along, that we have peace, that we enjoy one another. Um, those were high commodities and togetherness, really beautiful principles. And yet the things that we were locked out of was how to experience deep emotion, 
communicate that if we had conflict with someone, how to work through it and still be okay. The natural progression for us was to avoid it or if it uh, came up to kind of shut it down quickly so we all could get along. Mm, Yeah. Right. There were these ingrained ways that contributed to beautiful, um, beautiful outcomes. But that's a bit of bypassing, right? I mean, hey, we're going to have a really peaceable home by never addressing conflict. Yeah. And peace and not having argument was high paramount. Like that's something that is really important to me today. I've really had to work through how to be safe in conflict and work through big emotions. Be easy. (laughs) Be easy. I'm super great at that. And I think that, right, if we think back generationally, um, there was so much of the avoiding, um, hiding it, putting it under the rug, so much shame. Like, why would you bring up something like that? So even though I wasn't experiencing the thing, I was learning that was my model to avoid things that were hard, to not have too many emotional needs. And so I'm watching that, I'm noticing that, and I'm pretty good at it in the end. But it's not relating to me being in connection with others in the future. Right. There's a disconnect there. There's a gap in, um, in the thought process. And in reality, both of our parents, it felt like those things that were so problematic for other generations or other family members, they skipped our parents. For instance, my mother, one long-standing marriage, right? Didn't get married three to five times, didn't get shot by a spouse, um, no apparent history of infidelity, nothing that would uh, suggest in her immediate domain that there had been a problem, right? So, hey, she made it out. It worked. And same in your family, right? I mean, yeah, same in my family. And I'm so thankful that they were able to have something different. And also we have to think about, they also got married. So they brought in another family structure that had other values as well. And so we're, you and I are talking about one side of our family structure, but then they're combining with another. So we always usually pair with something, right, that accommodates that thing. So if it's my family of origin, it's like secrets. Well, it's accommodating that as well. We're not bringing big things up. Mm. We're not having these other conversations. We're really loyal to it. So there's another family dynamic coming in. Just like you and I, we bring our stuff. uh, We get married and we have two family dynamics, you know, (sighs) colliding. Right. My mother, who comes from this very turbulent relational environment, she marries uh, a, a family that is, you know, the paragon of morality. She marries, you know, the, the uh, president of a Bible college's son. She marries a, a well-to-do uh, minister on the rise, right? That, that actually the, the pairing there was instability with stability. She did great. She was infusing her genogram with like accommodating effects, right? She was definitely complementing that gene pool, so to speak, right? Yeah. And so my mother and father came together. My mother from a very Southern background, very conservative, but that Southern background also um, had a way of suppressing the voice, you know, and not having too many large opinions in her home. 
And so there was a very uh, conservative and Christian point of view coming in with these other um, sexual trauma sites. So uh, there wasn't a lot of emotion and there wasn't a lot of room for discussion. Um, and, and so we had these two things uh, collide to create the home that I was in. And so a very beautiful home in terms of support and um, bringing peace and also a lot of things that were under the surface. Right. And so essentially what we're talking about then is, is a pattern on your uh, family side of what I would call repression, right? A deep burying in this within your immediate household. This is not happening. This is not real. We don't talk about it. It did not occur. And then on my side, a real history of suppression. Hey, those things happened, but they happened elsewhere. That's not good. You don't want to be that. You got to stick close to the, to, to the Bible and to, to all these different things. Cut away the things that don't belong. So here we're seeing now two approaches to traumatizing events. One is to uh, cut away, work on, um, really like deny yourself. And the other is to avoid, to maybe even pretend it didn't happen, right? And so now we're seeing these two great strategies um, come into one another's orbits, aren't we? Yeah, and they're, they're supporting one another. Right. There. Um, one is about this experience that's happening, right? You're talking about all the experiences of people, your family origin. And the other one is um sitting there kind of like, uh, we are gonna get through things, we'll avoid things, we'll kind of bypass. And so it's this beautiful marriage in some ways of how our story kind of melded together. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine people who are in new relationships or people who are even in existing relationships. And now they're looking at the person across from them and they're recognizing, well, it's not just as simple as the person across from them. It's about, you know, everybody else on that map. What are the tools that someone can engage with? I'm wondering, what, what are the resources to being able to work through some of those things that now you're a little bit more attuned to? Like, how can you navigate that? Something that comes to my mind is first really identifying the role that you had. So we're really talking about family structures right now and this really big picture, but also kind of narrowing it into like, what role did you play? So we can see how we're impacted by our family structure and who we're close to. And, but also who are we in that? you and I played different roles in our family of origin, different than our siblings. You had two older siblings. I had three. And so it's important to say, like, who am I in the world? Uh, what was my role? How did I behave? Because I'm different than my other three brothers and how they exist in the world, even though we came from the same place. So I would start with the self. You know, it's kind of funny because we said, well, you're bigger than yourself, but you do have to start with self and say, what am I doing now? What are the roles that I'm playing? And do I keep on playing those out right now? Mm -hmm. Right. And so going back to that original story between you and I, you know, both of us are playing nice and I'm telling you about my family, but I'm not telling you about myself. And you're telling me about, um, you're kind of telling me about the family, but you don't really have a concept of how it's actually those deeper 
players are playing out in your life. So again, we're both kind of um, playing very, very um, good up front. We're putting the best foot forward, just like you do in relationships, right? Yeah. So I think understanding yourself is the first. And then being curious, really being curious about your own story and how how that's impacting you. Just like you said for me, like, well, how is that impacting you? What is that like for you? What do you think it's doing in your life? And being curious about the other person, if we're talking about a relational dynamic right now, um, that's important as well. So starting with the self, identifying the roles that you have, how that's playing out, how do you think it's impacting you? That's a great place to start. You tell me about your dad. He's 12 years old, maybe a little older, and he's been abused his whole life by someone he trusted, brought up that way. And the pain and the victimization. And then one day, someone invites him to a summer camp, like a, like a church camp, you tell me. And he goes... And he has this remarkable moment, this, uh, this encounter with something larger than himself. And he goes home at the end of that camp and he tells his abuser, never touch me again. A 12-year-old boy says that to the person in charge. Don't do that anymore. And not only that, but then he spends his time and energy at the farmhouse down the road with the girl who invited him and she becomes his girlfriend and he is like an adopted member of their family and over the years they begin to date and then he marries her and and he can't take his eyes off of her still they're still in love you tell me and and this this person who had such a tragic beginning whose whose family foreshadowed what should have happened to him he chose differently he changed his stripes and i don't know how that's possible but i like to think it's possible And as you're telling me that story, your family's story, I'm starting to hear the hope that I want in my life. And I love the story of your mom. Your mom had a story in which it was a struggle. Her parents were separated and then divorced. And then her mom was remarried. And she spent summers away from the people that she loved and the siblings. And there was a lot of confusion. And she got in interesting relationships that weren't healthy. She was engaged once and, and living with a person that, you know, I think most people thought probably weren't the best. And then one day she goes to a revival and has a conversion experience. And she decides to pick up her life leave a relationship that was not good or healthy and travel a thousand miles away to a small, obscure Bible college. And when she gets there, she meets your dad, the son of the president of the Bible college. And they marry She has this beautiful smile. She has a beautiful laugh. She's so winsome. 
and she's leaving a life behind. She doesn't look anymore like the family that she was born into. She's full of hope and possibility and stepping into newness. Newness like we all want. You know, whenever I think of uh, the things that block us in life, the obstacles that we have to get towards the goals that we want, we go for the easy, easy culprits. There's thoughts that get in the way. There's emotions that get in the way. There's, there's behaviors. But then there's the environments, the environments that we find ourselves in rather consistently. And, and that is so often our family of origin for many of us. And even if we, we are extracted from those environments you know, you can take us out of the family, but it's hard to take the family out of us. I think what was so hopeful about those moments spent hearing about your family's story and history was that there was a real breaking point where your father extracts himself from this environmental behavioral way of being in the world, right? That there's this real transformational point. It was so validating that change was possible. And I think it, it, on one hand, really still encourages me to even think about, I'm, I'm almost constantly moved by the gravity of the decisions that he made and, and the strong break from that, that um, just immense abuse that he experienced. But then beyond that, that he kept living out these new choices and that that could be possible, you know, for someone like me. It's a really wonderful thought. I always have been in awe of that storyline and inspired by it and so thankful for that trajectory of strong will and decision-making and salvation is how he probably would have explained it back then of a distinct mark where uh, he chose a different course and pattern. And I look at your mom and her story and I see the same thing. I saw the same thing. I see it. And that was so beautiful. I think a word that always came to me when I encountered you was probably something that you learned from your mom, which was resiliency. Mm. Resiliency to um, face adversity, to push through to try something new, um, to take a risk, to stand on your own two feet when you fall. Mm -hmm. um, that is such an amazing quality, resiliency. Yeah, and I think in that, in that moment of time when we're first meeting and as we're hearing this, um, we're, we're very focused on transformation or resiliency, you know, getting past the past. And so I think we're hearing each other's stories. We're hearing these familial um, elements and we are trained to know what to look for. We're not dummies at that point. We're hearing it, but we're also hearing through the lens of really, really wanting something like change to be possible for others, for ourselves. So I'm a bit conflicted because on one hand, I affirm that. Actually, I, I think of all the people who might 
be hearing this and, and thinking about their own relationships or, or maybe they're going into, you know, a scenario where they're, they're negotiating and navigating new relationships. And, and maybe they hear someone who has just, you know, an absolute bonkers uh, story of, you know, a family of origin. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, should I get out now? No, 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 no. Rainier and Christie said uh, it was possible. And it's like, I, I actually want to foster that kind of hope, you know? Well, I agree with you. Part of this is having a balance too. There's so many things that are beautiful that our family of origin give us. Sometimes they they come out of travesty and trauma and difficulty. And a lot of times they don't have to as well. So when we think about family of origin, it's not just mm, the garbage or the remains or the, you know, there's a lot of beauty that comes with our families and the things that we learn. And we have to look past it too mm. with our eyes wide open to see what are those things that we're carrying with us. Mm-hmm. So it is a balance of being able to decipher first again, our own stuff and then being able to have honest conversation to whoever in relationship with about it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wonder how, um, how different it would be if one of the first conversations in speed dating was tell me about the last three generations in your family. And then instead of really being freaked out, <laughs> right. Cause we also are going to admit our three generations. Instead we ask questions like, great. How are you making changes in your life to not replay the past? How are you not replaying this in your life? Right. I think those are great questions that, that deserve to be asked. And there's a kind of hopefulness. Otherwise you'll look, I think you said look past it, but otherwise uh, you won't see it. It's like you, you'll, you'll, um, you won't see the wide frame picture of it all. And you need to, you really need to, right? What do you think are some good questions to ask um, someone thinking about a family of origin? Like one of the things that comes up for me is like, well, how do you handle conflict? What do you think are some good questions to be curious about? Oh, well, I want to know about sex, actually. I want to know about what the role and the conversation and the, the understanding and the the dynamic of sex was, um, and the discussions around it and your family. That's one of the questions I want to have. Right. Because who taught you? What did you see? What are the messages? What are your experiences? What do the shareholders in your life think are religious institutions? What are you carrying with you? Mm -hmm. That seems really important. I think I also want to talk about traditions what traditions, what rituals, what meaning did they have in your life? What anchor points did your family of origin connect to? And, and how do those things hold value? A lot of times they may not hold value, but we just represent the flip side of the coin. You know, it's like, well, we're not embracing mommy and daddy's religion, but, but we're, we're shaking our fist at it. It's still ruling us. I kind of want to know, like, what was the faith of your fathers there? Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I was thinking about emotions. How do people handle emotions? You know, like, what do people do with them? Do they stuff them? Do they avoid them? Do they 
Are they very extreme in their emotional process? Yeah. How was that handled? I want to know about presence. Who was there? Who wasn't? You know, my father traveled a lot. And uh, while he may have been the patriarch of the family, um, there was no questioning that my mother was queen of the castle. And, uh, and so who was there? Who was absent? Whose love did you have to earn? Um, whose love uh, did you, was, was available or even over available? Right. These are some of the questions I want to know. I'm liking all these. Makes me think about also the roles. Like what role did you notice women having or men having or expectations about who should make money and who should take care of the family and who should like, where's the power and is there balance and equality? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also want to know things like addiction. I'm curious about the role of substances. I'm, I'm curious about the role of distractions. Um, I'm curious about the role of, of any of those, including workaholism. That's one of the things I'm, I'm keenly aware of. Um, how do they spend their time, right? Who was close to who? Who was distant? Was there anyone able to resolve conflict? Was there anyone able to come back to the fold after shameful experiences? What did people do when they stepped outside of what the family thought of acceptable behavior? I had this realization um, a while back. I was thinking about my tendency to want to run in relationship or even to run uh, from one place to the next. Listen, I, I, I grew up in the backseat of a station wagon. It seemed to me that any time the going got tough in a, in a job or a, um, a line of vocation that my father was in, we'd uproot the family and we move across the country to a new place, take up a new role. He would, he would begin to do his thing in a new town. And boy, I felt that same pull, even though I've stayed in a location for a number of years, I felt that pull relationally. I've certainly felt this intense need to reinvent every so often. And I thought about how my father had had that. And then I got to thinking, boy, I think his father had that too. And, I, I, and then I wondered, well, what about his father? Did he learn that somewhere? And then I kept going just back in my memory. I, I don't even have memories of these people. I don't have knowledge of these people. But suddenly I just imagined these, these immigrants who are running from what? Or running towards what? Right? They're leaving something, something that, that they're... Uh, afraid of something that's scarce, something that, that they don't have much of, and they're, they're headed towards a brighter future, a better hope. And haven't we kind of been replaying that? Hasn't my family been replaying this kind of refugee mentality for years, maybe even centuries, trickling down generation after generation after generation until here I am in my love life, a refugee. I don't know how to stay in a place a place of the heart. So we say these things don't matter, but I think perhaps they matter a lot. And over time, they compound and they dictate our life. I think that on my side, I can see something similar. 
keeping it together, problem solving, and performing well while you do it. And I think about, you know, the generations before me, keeping it together, my father's side of the family, keep it together. Don't let anybody know. Keep it together. On my mom's side, very high performing. Keep it together. And so I look back in generations as well and think about the inability, locked out of emotion. You know, we talked about what questions to ask. And like a lot of times for me, it's like, how do people handle conflict? I keep saying, how do they experience emotion healthily? Like I was longing for that. And you know what I found in our relationship? I had to learn that skill. Well, there's no easy way to understand the mystery at this point of who killed the marriage. We could say there was foreshadowing and we should have known. But the truth is, you don't see what you don't want to. And we were committed to not seeing certain things. And I think like good lovers, we were also hoping like mad that things were different this time. Yeah. Yeah, they would be different this time. So we're now at that part of the mystery when I think I'm curious. Thank you for listening to this episode of Love Like Hell. We appreciate your support so much. Listen, would you do us a small favor? If you love the show, will you leave a fabulous five-star review? And don't forget to share this with all your friends. Okay. Well, until next week, I'm Rainier. And I'm Christy. Live like mad and love, love like, like hell. Love like hell. That, that was my signature. Uh. Line. <laughs>